0: Hello, and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. Before we get started, if you like the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you use. It really helps other folks find us. If you'd like to be a guest, recommend a game, or just say hi, you can find me on Twitter at notalone underscore horror, or email me at youarenotalonepod at gmail at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. This episode, we are starting a playthrough of End of the Line by Kyle Tam. We spent a good bit of time talking about the game in the introduction, so I'm not going to say too much about it here. End of the Line is a new game being itch funded as we speak. It's a really wonderful two page game that seeks to simulate Rube Goldberg style slasher films like Final Destination. It is really good, and I recommend heading over to itch.io slash end of the line and picking up a copy right now. Kyle Tam, the designer, joins me to play the game. The intro discussion this episode is a little bit longer than normal, but the conversation that I got to have with Kyle was too good to cut any of it out. We talk a lot about end-of-the-line itch funding, and horror in general. So let's jump in. Uh, And I'm really excited to be joined by Kyle to play it. Hey, Kyle, how's it going?
1: Hey, uh, it's going pretty well. We are about 12 days into the itch funding, and we're almost at the first itch funding goal, which will allow me to make a systems reference document so other people can use the system, the dice system and a gameplay system that End of the Line runs on.
0: That is awesome. I'm really glad to hear that the itch funding is going well. I'm, I'm super excited to see more people using itch funding in general. Uh, I feel like Kickstarter needs some competition and itch is becoming a good alternative.
1: For sure. I mean, the primary thing for me, and I think a lot of creators are using itch funding, is that you can't make a Kickstarter from every country. I think it only works in like 25 countries. And oh. yeah, and Kickstarter also takes some pretty hefty fees. So um, with itch funding, itch does take tax fees. If you're outside of primary territories, but itch takes 10% or less because it's an adjustable slider of whatever you make off your games. So it's, I think, a lot more affordable as uh, campaigns go, but it's also a lot easier to make an itch funding campaign, especially since I think Kickstarter has a requirement that requires you to have fulfilled one campaign before you move on to the next. And considering the timeline for fulfillment can sometimes be anywhere from a couple of months to a year to a couple of years. It's easier, I think, on itch and for itch funding.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, too, from what I've seen from itch funding, at least, it's at least a little bit less stressful. Uh, I've definitely I've tried doing a Kickstarter in the past, and it is a lot of work and a hellish couple of months of your life.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, with this, it's just been uh, me promoting myself, and I think that's very much the case for a lot of other people doing itch funding. All of the all all the like support you drum up is basically however you manage to put yourself out there. But I think there's definitely a lot less stress when it comes to the scope. You can ask for a more modest goal. Like my max goal for this itch fund is $1,050. I've seen people whose minimum goal is $1,000. Some who are even smaller, just a couple of hundred dollars. So you can really minimize scope. Whereas I think Kickstarter feels like you've They want you to go big.
0: Yeah, yeah, there is that, that that the goal is kind of to fund everything all at once, uh, which can be a lot, especially for indie designers who are generally working either by themselves or as part of a small team. Doing like a big book launch is a lot of work for one person.
1: Yeah, like especially if you look at um the way people do Zine Quest every year, and because it's so flooded, and it's also like all or nothing. Whereas the nice thing about itch Fund is that because the way you do it is a little more like Indiegogo, in that you can, it's based on what you're earning. So even if there's partial support, you can still take money from the partial support from. What people have given already, and you can use that to at least like partially help you fulfill what you want to do i I don't want to contend with that like I'm hopeful I fund fully, but if not, at least the money will get me some of the ways towards achieving what I want to do the game
0: that's awesome well i'm I'm super super glad that things are going well so far, and hopefully and it's still still a pretty new game so i i feel like the early success is a good indicator of where things are going for you
1: yeah uh it's it's been exciting i think it's been really nice to see you know people be excited for this little game it's it's especially interesting like to hear that some people were like you should charge a bit more because originally had it priced at a dollar cuz i'm like it's a one page game so we're going to charge a dollar and then i got a bit of feedback which is like actually you should charge a bit more because you put time and effort into it uh because it's so weird pricing things
0: yeah i feel i like i feel that like it is very it's very weird coming up and especially when you're doing like micro games mhm and you're not putting out like 150, 200, 300 page book, uh, trying to figure out what that is worth, both kind of to the community and to also make sure that you are fairly compensated as a designer is a really weird place to be.
1: It is, but I do think that in general, indie games should charge a little more. Like you've got at least, um, as you say, 200, 300 page books, and people are being charged what like 20 dollars. I'm like, I, I feel like you can charge a bit more for that. Like how much time and effort has gone into creating this? Like you go to the, I don't know if people still go to the bookstore, but if you go to the bookstore, like um, your premium graphic novels and your art books will easily charge more than that. But I guess. Yeah, it's also an issue of like you want to make it affordable so that people can play without breaking the bank.
0: Yeah. Yeah, cuz you're up against like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and all and all of them are charging, you know, usually I mean if you get it through like Amazon it's significantly cheaper, but cover price on those is usually like 40 or 50 bucks. But as indie designers, you're also contending with the fact that like you You have an uphill battle to fight against those big shareholders in the r p g community,
1: oh yeah, for sure like i'm I'm very glad that this isn't fighting in the same space as a Dungeon Dragons and a Pathfinder, like I know there's a lot in the horror space, there are a lot of games in the horror space and also in the comedy space, but it's kind of nice that there can be so many and that they can coexist with each other as opposed to fantasy where you're kind of immediately up against the behemoth of your Dungeons and dragons and your pathfinder.
0: That is definitely true. And I like the, one of the nice things about the horror space too, is that, you know, not all, but a majority of horror games are designed as if not one shots for very short arcs. Um, because it's horror and horror, I I find is not terribly sustainable over the long term of like a campaign. So there's all of this space for horror designers because uh, there tends to be kind of less commitment to horror games as far as time goes.
1: Which I think is fine. Like it's hard to do a horror series, even if you're looking at um, TV. I'm terrible because, like, a uh, haunting at Hill House or a Squid Game. These are very good. Where there comes a point, a uh, few episodes in, where you're like, "Wow, this is a lot," and so I can't imagine playing through for so long. I think the last time I t- tried to do a horror campaign, we were playing Wraith: The Oblivion, and oh my oh, goodness, oh
0: Wraith, oh
1: my gosh, it's a lot. It's a lot. You've got to take breaks. It's so much.
0: It it really is. and I, I played Vampire was at its height of like uh, gothy, gothy popularity when I was in high school and my friends and I definitely played a lot of Vampire and it is like even a game like Vampire if you try to run it for more than say like maybe eight sessions it starts to become I feel like too much.
1: Yeah, I think because there's the intensity of like you were a creature of the dark and all these like horrible dark decisions at some point, like someone's going to crack a joke and then you're going to have a session, which is basically a joke because you can't be so serious and dark for so long.
0: Yeah. It's hard to come back from that. And i found like, I love doing this podcast because doing one-on-one horror is so much easier when you have a, a group of players, it's tough because each person has different things that scare them and they have different reactions to horror. And I mean, almost every group is gonna have that one person who like the way they deal with horror is making jokes, which then immediately kind of blows the tension at the table for everyone, and it's just it's very tricky. To do group horror, uh, and especially like long term group horror.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I get that. Like, everyone's different at the table. But I think what's also nice about um, this format, and which is why I appreciate you doing this, is that there's like an intimacy about one on one horror. Like, it's scarier to deal with things when you're isolated than when you're in a group.
0: Definitely. And that is, uh, that was kind of the, the like lightning strike that inspired this podcast was there's another Philadelphia podcaster, Jeff Stormer, who does a podcast called party of one. And he does not primarily horror, but one-on-one sessions. And I was listening to it and I was like, this is very intimate And like the type of stories you can tell in one-on-one setting are so different because you get to just focus in on a single person. And I was like, that would be really cool to do with horror, um, and see like how, how intense we can get, <laughs> which I guess is not for everyone. But like, I I have fallen in love with doing this podcast because I do I think the stories we can tell in a one on one setting are really intimate and personal and beautiful in the weird, creepy way that horror is beautiful.
1: Which is exciting. Like, I think, well, I di- I, not anymore, but I think like there was a while where horror was kind of this thing you'd associate with like being very pulpy, very gory, not having like a lot of substance. Obviously that's not been the case in the past couple of years where you could argue there's been this uptick in smart horror, like horror that's um, kind of been challenging the constraints of the genre as opposed to your, like, typical Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, like, um, slasher, gory, I guess, torture porn kind of horror. You've had more clever horror. Um, You've had your, like, your Midsommars and your... I'm trying to remember. It's really terrible because I I would know the name usually, but basically you've had more of this, like, horror which looks at, you know, the horror of being human and the horror of people as expressed for the medium of like ghosts or killers, what have you.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I love that. I, I kind of got away from horror for a while because I, I like, I don't like jump scare horror.
1: Yes. Oh my God.
0: And so much of horror in the like late nineties into the early two thousands was just, it was that adrenaline rush horror where it's just like we're going to have someone's going to close close the medicine cabinet and there's going to be something in the mirror that wasn't there before and a loud noise. And I like that just causes me anxiety. And I like the horror that makes me walk away feeling like I'm going to be scarred for the rest of my life, which is a a, a weird take. Uh, I have come to terms with that, but the like the horror movies, like even i remember like one of the earliest ones that really did it for me was the ring and i like i remember going to see the ring and coming out of that movie and being like i am never going to be okay again
1: yeah the like is this uh, um i i love my dad but he took us to see the ring the american version as a family outing <laughs> so that was that was an experience um, and it, it, I think that's probably the first horror movie I ever saw it was a genuinely informative horror experience um, and the only reason I wasn't scarred for the rest of my life is because he was like we don't even own a VCR there are no tapes in this house <laughs> you're fine and we're like oh you're right
0: that's uh that's at least, at least some small consolation. Just a little. I, my my parents lo- like are huge movie fans, which is where I got it from. And so we had like thousands of VHS tapes. Oh
1: my god. Like, our
0: whole living room was just like shelves of VHS tapes. And I think there was there was a period of time where like I could not even like go into that room. It unsettled me so much. <sighs>
1: That sucks. But I guess that's the that that's the impact of like genuinely good horror. Where it's like it just settles under your skin. It's so unnerving.
0: Yeah, it's it's wonderful. And I like I like I said, I've come to terms with the fact that like I'm I'm probably weird for thinking that way, but I'm okay with it. That is that is where I get my fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, the important thing about horror is like you enjoy it, whether it's like the torture gory stuff or it's the like more intellectual or if it's like ghost stuff. I just I can't do ghost stuff, but more power to people who enjoy watching ghost movies. Good for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I could see how that could that could be a be a point you don't want to go to. I can hit a little too close to home sometimes.
1: Yeah. I, I guess because, like, a ghost feels really real. Or, like, it it was a person, as opposed to, like... It's weird in that I'm more scared of ghosts than, like, a serial killer or a mass murderer, despite the fr- the possibility of one being real. Like... I'm okay, more likely to meet a serial killer or mass murder in my lifetime than I am a ghost, but I'm still more scared of the ghost.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, and I, I enjoy ghost movies, but I have, a, I have a similar fear. And like, I, I'm the type of person or like, I've never had a paranormal encounter, but I completely accept that it's a possibility. I, I'm like a, a willing skeptic, where I, I'm skeptical but willing to accept that you know it makes sense that they would that ghosts could exist and i would not be surprised if they exist i just haven't personally encountered one but i do live in constant fear of encountering one especially living in it like i live in a creepy old house that might be haunted and so like every time i leave my bedroom in at night I am like, okay, this is going to be the time that uh, the old lady that lives upstairs is going to come say hello.
1: No god. I mean, I I I feel like that's part of why we have ghosts and horror movies is just to teach us proper etiquette. What do we do when you encounter a spirit?
0: It is. uh, It's the like how to make friends and influence people of the supernatural.
1: Yeah, see, there you go. It's and it's, it's really basic. It's just like, uh, don't mess around with their stuff. Don't try to call them when they're not ready. It's like it's like how what you're like when you're a guest in somebody's house. Don't take their things. Don't make fun of them when they're not when you think they aren't listening. You know, it's basic guest stuff.
0: Yeah, just just be a decent person and. Uh, probably be okay
1: yeah just, just be polite i'm i think ghosts is like i'm i'm fairly sure that ghosts exists i like like my mom used to go to all-girls school and she said it was built over like a graveyard i'm like wow that's not ominous and she's like yeah everyone said they saw ghosts um late at night uh, and I was just like, okay. oh, my God.
0: Yeah. And I, that that right there is like Ghost 101. Just like, if that place was a graveyard, don't build something on top of it. Like, that's just, that's a bad idea.
1: Yeah. I'm just like, in a school? You're asking for trouble.
0: Yeah. Of all things, uh, why a school on top of a graveyard?
1: <sighs> I don't know. Maybe Maybe the land was cheap.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess it, it, it. Eddie Port in a storm. But still, like, and then at that point, like, don't be surprised that there are ghosts. Like, of course, like, you have built a
1: ghost house. Yeah, for sure. I just, I feel bad for the students. It's nobody's fault, but the person who constructed the school. And it's the people who have to attend it that have to deal with a ghost fallout.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is not. Not great. (laughs) So let's talk, I guess, first, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of an introduction, tell us who you are, where you are on uh, the internet, and the kind of stuff you do, and then we'll talk a little bit about End of the Line specifically.
1: Uh, Sure thing. So my name is Kyle Tam. I am Chinese-Filipino, and I'm based in the Philippines, which makes me part of hashtag RPGSEA, SEA for Southeast Asia. I've only gotten into writing for games recently this year. Um, previously, I was writing a lot of um, short fiction and articles about fiction. I say about fiction, it was mostly to do with Japanese media, so manga, anime, And a lot of the stuff I wrote about was to do with both my kind of real world experience and a lot of things rooted in mythology. So it's been really good going into games writing. Part of me went into it because I was getting frustrated trying to write longer form work. Like a lot of what I did was uh, microfiction, flash and short fiction under 3,000 words. And like a lot of people, I was trying and failing to write a novel. So I went into writing four games to see if I could break out of the rut. And then I realized the way I write suits game writing a lot because you can kind of get away with writing scenarios and almost a set for people to make stories in without necessarily having to write a core storyline, which I like because you supply one half of the story and then whoever plays the game supplies the other.
0: Yeah, that is, that's also. Awesome. I have a very similar, I have a, a, a master's degree in poetry uh, and have tried many, many times to write longer fiction and failed miserably because I, if it goes over two pages, I don't know what to do with it.
1: It's a skill for sure. Like, I'm both envious and in awe of people who can write um, long novels because you have to take those characters in that setting and you have to like weave the thread of it for however many pages and that's tough.
0: Yeah, that is a, that is a lot of work. Yeah. And like, like you said, I do. I, I love writing for games because of that. Like, The, the mix of creativity between the writer and the players is, I think, really fascinating in a way that is more interesting to me than like the relationship between writing, be it, you know, poetry, short fiction, long fiction and the reader. Because games ask people to be so much more complicit in the story,
1: definitely, and it means you can really tell a more involved and a more personal story, which I think is really nice. Like you have the, you really have that involvement and the player agency, which makes for a more fulfilling storyline. Like um, as a reader, you're passively involved. With a book. Like you experience it, but it's not the same thing as a video game, or very much not the same thing as a role playing game where you get to live out and experience this character in this world for yourself. And I think it means you get a lot more time investment, and um, certainly you have a lot more personal stake in what's happening
0: definitely. I, I think I, like being, being, a, I, I, I am, I am often a kind of a forever GM and even being a GM, I really love to see like the places that the story goes because of player agency and player decision. Uh, but as a player, it always feels really cool to know that like the decisions you make are of vital importance to the story. In a way that, like, even if you're reading something and something is left a little bit nebulous and you fill in the blanks personally, like, that might change the story a little bit as you experience it personally versus how someone else experiences when they read it. But it's not the same sort of influence that decision making in a game makes, which I think is just really wonderful to see and experience.
1: Yeah, it's it's exciting, like both to be a GM and to play. I think one of the probably one of the greatest joys when you're running a game is to know that like you've created this world, the setting, um, this place, and people are running around and enjoying themselves in it. But there's also like a certain enjoyment that comes from Or like a satisfaction that comes from just facilitating people having a good time, which is not necessarily the case for like a more dark invested heavy campaign. Like it's two different things, which can be the same type of enjoyment, the enjoyment of facilitating fun and the enjoyment of interacting, of seeing people interact with your world. Yeah. I, I do think, like, role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games, are a very special kind of experience. I wish more people would play them, um, but <laughs> who knows? Who knows? They're hitting the mainstream a lot more than they were, like, 10, 20 years ago, which is very exciting.
0: Yeah, it is. For uh, As someone who has played role-playing games most of their life, Like, it is wild to me to see, like, what it was like to be someone who played Dungeons & Dragons in, like, the late 90s versus what it's like to be someone who plays role-playing games now. It is wildly different.
1: (laughs) What was gaming—like, this is really bad, but, like, what was the—what would you say the um, gaming landscape for that was, like, in the 90s versus now?
0: I mean, for me, the biggest thing was, and part of this was also growing up in, like, a small town in kind of, like, the cusp between rural and, uh, like, suburban America. It was, like, satanic panic had not really left. So, like, it was definitely still a thing that, like, a lot of people just generally looked down on. And especially like parrots, because I, I I had a couple friends who like I I was you know, like I, I have always been a pretty like sweet innocent human being. Aww. But like I was the bad kid in a lot of households because I got their kids to play Dungeons and Dragons and that was the devil's game. Yeah. Which was weird, like feeling like I needed to hide that aspect of my life.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine that now. I I wouldn't say it's like mainstream now, but I think it's definitely a hobby that's more recognized, especially if you consider like one how widely available and how how much easier it is I think to get into the hobby with, sort of with the prevalence of the internet, um digital copies, the widespread availability of game aids and materials but also how much like creators are advertising and pushing and getting this to kids now especially when there's a lot of like kind of nerd adjacent hobbies which are also becoming more mainstream at the same time like you look at something like the marvel movies i can't imagine those having been as big at the same time as or rather at the just at the same time like those are huge now i don't know if they would have been as big 20 years ago
0: yeah they were definitely like comic book movies in general were were such a niche low budget thing and now they've become like one of the biggest money makers for studios and like just the prevalence of like video games Mm -hmm. and like people watching other people play video games. And you look at like, there are people on Twitch who have millions of people watching them play video games, which is wild to me as a concept.
1: It is. It's a little bit funny, but I I think I get that in like, because I'm someone who's not very good at video games, but it's nice to live vicariously for someone <laughs> who is good at video games. Like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do that.
0: It, it, I That is, I don't watch a lot of people on Twitch, but when I do, it is usually a game that I am actively bad at. Because I'm like, I just want to see someone do it, right? Yeah. It's not going to be me. It will probably never be me. I watch a lot of Sea of Thieves on Twitch because, like, I play Sea of Thieves as this, like, I just want to sort of sail around on the ocean and, like, pick up boxes and deliver them. (laughs) And then someone comes in and sinks my ship immediately. And I'm like, maybe I should watch some people play this game and see how, like, maybe not die.
1: Yeah. And you tell yourself, like, the way I tell myself, I'm watching this to learn so i can improve my game it doesn't improve but like the the spirit is willing
0: <laughs> yeah yeah the 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 flesh is unable to pick up the the ro- rotations that you need to be successful at uh, at the game
1: sadly yeah but i think there's also the element of the personality which i think has been really interesting seeing not just Twitch, but like YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, this prevalence of really influencers and personalities, people who are being known for being themselves, or I suppose a more heightened version of themselves. Like, I can't imagine that being a thing before, but now it's such an unavoidable part of the youtube and instagram the tiktok culture
0: yeah the the person as brand thing is an interesting advent of i mean really the last like probably five years or so and i don't know if that's good or bad but it is definitely interesting to see that like that change in how kind of branding and marketing is done uh because we are seeing so many people Like the brand is not any specific thing. The brand is the person. It the person themselves.
1: I mean, I think it's kind of down to what we, as people, as human beings, have are learning that we value. Like, if you compare the actors and actresses of yesteryear to the actors and actresses of today, what we used to value was that they were distant and detached from us as people the reason that they were stars is because they were living in this whole other world that was unattainable and we could admire them from afar but i think nowadays there's i think is also the reason why tabletop games and role-playing games have become so much in vogue is that there's almost this kind of like craving for intimacy Which manifests itself both as a desire to go back to analog games and like face to face, close knit, tight, intimate experiences, but also this conception of closeness to the personalities that we admire. We like to think that we are close to them, even if we aren't.
0: Yeah, I think, and I I think the like, that's the kind of the interesting direction the internet as has taken us as like there's something to be said for the distance that the internet creates but it also you know breaks down those distances both physically like you know the two of us are are basically on the other side of the world and we're about to sit down and play a game together yeah and that has also kind of broken down the distance between us and the celebrities that we admire and that idea that you know like whether they run it themselves or have an assistant that runs it like almost every celebrity has a twitter now for better or worse and has an instagram and has a snapchat and has a tiktok and like it's a way to create at least some level of closeness that did not exist before
1: yeah which i think is both good and bad like it's nice i think to have that Feeling that, oh, it's so cool. I can be close to people I like. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of pressure on performers in every industry. Not just acting, but basically every industry. That you have to like make yourself available to the public as like a good to be consumed, as like, as you said earlier, as a brand. And that's kind of scary because this isn't a corporate brand. This is, you know, a real human being on the other end. Human beings are fallible and human beings get tired and are allowed to have lives that are not constantly on display.
0: I think constantly of just the the picture of Ben Affleck that goes around uh, of him smoking the cigarette outside, just looking so sad, and I'm like that is like that right there is the the kind of repercussions of the internet uh just made manifest in one person's expression, where like he can't even go outside and have a cigarette without being hounded, and now all of all of the world uses that picture to make memes,
1: yeah. But he's dating JLo again. So you know. It's true.
0: That is uh, that was a weird it like so many things recently have brought me back to feeling like I'm in high school again. And the Be- the the Benifer Lopez combination is I'm happy for both of them though. They were always a cute couple.
1: Yeah, like good for them, but you're also like what year is this?
0: Is it is it 1999 again? <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know if I want to go. I mean, it would be pandemic free, but also like high school is not the best time.
1: Oh, my God. I've, I Like, no, no, no ragging against high school. I'm sure high school, high school was fine, but like, I would not want to go back. Let's move past that
0: yeah it is i i did not have as, as the high school experiences go it was not the worst but also like the idea of being 17 again just it's exhausting in a different way than being an adult in, in a way that like at least now as an adult i have some control over my life
1: yeah and it's hard to like relive like I hate to say it, but I think we were all pretty cringy when we were teenagers. Oh yeah. Nobody was not cringy when they were a teenager for one reason or another.
0: I often like I I will I will say things about like high school and college age kids, and I like I call them like I'm like we were all cringy and dumb. And like I'm not saying that as an insult, you could be the smartest 17-year-old in the world. You are cringy and dumb, like you just are. There is no way around it. It's not your fault. One day you won't be, but right now you are, and you just have to accept it.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: makes me feel like an old man shaking my stick at the kids in my yard, Aww. but like it is the realization that I've come to.
1: No, I completely agree. Like um, when I talk to my high school friends, we—it's it, not like high school was. So long ago in the relative time scheme of things, but it's a thing where no matter how f- distanced you are from high school, whether it's just like a little while ago or longer, um, you always treat it as like part of your sordid past because my God. Cannot relive that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was not it was not great. So now that I am properly horrified thinking about my 17 year old <laughs> self. Let's talk uh tell tell the listeners a little bit so you you have end of the line came out a couple uh, a week and a half ago. Tell us a little bit about End of the Line.
1: So End of the Line is a quick pretty rules light comedy horror RPG in the style of the Final Destination movies. For those of you who haven't watched the Final Destination movies either because you didn't feel up to it or because they haven't released any in a while, which surprised me. They should bring that back. But the central concept around Final Destination is that a group of people who were supposed to die in some kind of accident have managed to survive and because one of them has had a vision of some sort. And because they survived, death is really pissed off at them. And it's trying to kill them. And the only way that they can survive is by killing somebody else and taking their lifespan for their own. But the usual twist in Final Destination is like they killed somebody, but that person had like cancer, so they only had a couple of weeks to live. Or like there's a person who was going to die in another accident, or they get involved in an accident. But that's the central concept which is behind Final Destination. Which is behind End of the Line. Where you are playing as the survivors and death is not happy that you've managed to survive an accident and you are trying to get through your life doing shit without dying in a horrifically tragic and or hilarious way. And also attempting to get shit done to find a victim, um come up with a plan and eventually kill them to add their lifespan to yours. But the basic crux of end of the line is that it kind of assumes you will probably fail and that's okay.
0: Excellent. I am I am so excited to see the most likely horrific death uh, of of my character.
1: Good, because uh, I'm hopeful that you die. Um, <laughs> not you personally, but I think it's...
0: I, I appreciate it.
1: It's kind of like paranoia. The fun is also you're not playing a particularly substantial character because you're not watching Final Destination for anyone's particularly gripping backstory
0: yeah it's uh it's a like it's the rube goldberg device of slasher films it is still a slasher film where it's a bunch of characters we don't care about dying gruesomely and i'm okay with that that is i have a, a deep guilty pleasure style love of all things slasher
1: Yeah, it's great. But I do love also when they subvert your expectations, like when you expect it's going to be a really horrible, gruesome um, setup. Rube Goldberg, I forget which of the final destinations this was, but there was one where they set it up and you think, oh my God, this girl is going to like, she's so this thing is going to go into that thing, is going to go in that thing, and she's going to get like hung up on the ceiling by the ceiling fan there's something dangling from it you're ready and none of that happens she jumps to try and do a gymnastics thing and breaks her neck it's terrible it's really awful (laughs) but like they have this whole setup and she just like straight up slips falls and breaks her neck and you're like oh my god
0: that is that's wonderful there is always like at least one death a movie is that way where they're like we're gonna give you all of these clues you're gonna create this like Beautiful, absurd, complex thing, and it's not that. It's just they die. Yeah, just a just a basic death. Oh, I'm I am so excited to play this game. Uh, it is it is very good, and it does it captures that style of story so well.
1: I'm so excited to run this for you. So I think you've mentioned. Earlier, you had a bit of a character concept already.
0: I do. I i have been for whatever reason this character came into my mind a couple of days ago, and I, he just seems like a. This is probably not the right approach to take because I like this person. Oh no, which is not great. His name is Stanley. Pronouns are he/him, uh, and he is a, a middle-aged janitor working, I think, in like a large corporate building.
1: Oh, no, now I don't want to kill him. Because usually they're, like, young and stupid.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, This is going to be traumatic for both of
1: us. (sighs) Stanley. So what's Stanley like?
0: Uh, So, uh, appearance-wise, I think he's a little bit stocky. Um, Slightly above average height, so we'll say maybe, like, six foot. Uh, A little broad at the shoulders, kind of a very nondescript face, like the kind of face that you just, the second you walk away, you kind of forget what he looks like. Not unattractive, but not kind of remarkable in any way. And he kind of carries himself just very quietly everywhere he goes. Like he's afraid that he's taking up a little bit too much space.
1: Okay. Okay. So not the kind of guy who would usually get himself into this type of trouble, but I can deal with it. That's okay.
0: Gonna throw you uh throw you a curveball uh for playtesting purposes.
1: Which is entirely fair. Like they can't all be like people I want to die.
0: Yeah, yeah, sometimes sometimes in a game like this, sadly, you have to kill someone uh someone like Stanley.
1: Poor Stanley. So what is Stanley like? You say he uh, just quietly carries himself where he goes.
0: Yeah, I have as my personality, uh, just as like a one sentence description, I have described him as uh, soft spoken and apologetic. So I think he like being someone who cleans this space that a lot of people come through, I think he he tries his best to just kind of always be in the background. And uh, is kind of immediately apologetic the second that he is not in the background.
1: This is a man who doesn't belong in this movie. <laughs> he wandered off the se- somewhere else.
0: Just, just he was, he was in the background shot of another movie, went to craft services, and now has found himself on the set of Final Destination 17.
1: Oh god, get out, Stanley, while you can. Okay, so one of the things that you have to decide, and if it was a group, they'd have to decide is what is the accident that you managed to survive? So what did Stanley get involved in?
0: So I think it was he was at work, and I think that maybe the boiler or some kind of like thing in the basement of the building exploded. And uh, he was in the room and like very obviously should have died, but somehow Uh, He survived.
1: Right. One important thing is that lots of other people died during this accident, but somehow he managed to live. It's not just like there's an accident and it's okay. There's always collateral damage.
0: If that's the case, then maybe like if it was a large building, maybe there was an elevator malfunction.
1: Ah, That's classic.
0: And so like a bunch of people died when this elevator fell. And for whatever reason, maybe there was a, a a spill on the floor right before he was supposed to get on the elevator
1: and he had to clean it up
0: and he had to clean it up and so he was not on the elevator when it fell
1: and that just pisses death right off because like you can't you can't account for a man doing his job
0: yeah yeah it's just that feels like Bad mathematics on Death's part. Like.
1: Like, how is he supposed to know that Stanley's like going to do his job properly? People don't do their jobs properly in this film. That's why there are so many accidents. <laughs> okay. So um the final part of making your character is you distribute four points across any of the following five stats. But you have a max of three in any stats. And that's important for later. Because we use a roll-under system, but I'll explain that in a little bit. So the five stats are, you're smart, you strong, sexy, subtle, or snarky. All the most important qualities, and you're very vapid and shallow horror movie character.
0: Yep, it, that, that covers them all. So I I am thinking that stanley is going to have 2 in strong and 2 in subtle and then 0 in smart, sexy and snarky.
1: What? You don't want to make him sarcastic? I mean, that's the least useful stat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like I if I were playing this in a group and we were all playing uh young dumb asshole kids, I would def- I would be the one with like 4 points in snarky and nothing else.
1: That's entirely fair. Like, I know um, when I was testing this with friends, one of the questions I got asked is, what is the optimal stat distribution to make a himbo? And I was like, oh, God. Oh. Yeah,
0: that's a good question. Maybe not a good question. It is a question.
1: It is a question. I think it got resolved as either too strong, too sexy, or one strong and three sexy.
0: That's fair. That is that is not Stanley. Stanley is not a himbo. He is just a, a janitor uh, who's very good at, at being in the background and doing his job. And apparently that saved his life once. I don't know how that's going to go. Who
1: knows?
0: For the rest of this story. Uh, but one time at least, doing his job paid off.
1: Yeah, and now he's going to have to try and do his job more times without dying. Good luck, Stanley.
0: Oh, uh, I have my fingers crossed, but I do not have high hopes.
1: No. Okay, so now that we have Stanley, our middle-aged janitor, who is uh, soft-spoken, apologetic, and apparently very dedicated to doing his job, I think we're ready to try moving into doing shit.
0: All right, let's 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 do some shit.
1: Let's do some shit. So it's the start of the workday. Obviously, it's been very tragic. There is a brief moment of silence over the uh, corporate loudspeaker as the head of your company tells everyone to take a minute to remember the fallen. Just a minute because you can't afford to spend more time. There's work to be done. And in that case for Stanley, work to be done looks like more spills to be mopped up. What kind of business does Stanley work in?
0: That is a good question. I I feel like it is the uh, just gonna live into like my real life here uh, for the horror of it. I feel like it's the like the corporate office of some kind of like retail chain.
1: OK, so when you say retail chain, it's like your like your targets or your Walmarts.
0: Yeah, something like a fairly big retail chain where, you know, we we we're, we're doing all of the kind of behind the scenes work of making them operate, opening new stores, testing out merchandise that might potentially get sold there. All of that fun and exciting work.
1: Oh, testing the merchandise. So like your lawnmowers and your trampolines and your.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of all of those. Anything, anything that we might want to sell in the store just to make sure that, you know, it's not. Too deadly, like a little bit deadly is fine. Uh, We can handle the lawsuits, but like you don't want a lawnmower that's going to kill like a bunch of people.
1: No, no, you don't. But they're they're hanging around, you know there's just things all over the place.
0: There are a lot of a lot of potentially deadly objects about,
1: oh dear, okay, so Stanley's working as a janitor at this um retail giant's headquarters, name redacted because I don't think we have the rights to any corporate <laughs> things no unless anyone wants to sponsor. Your podcast.
0: I I will take any sponsor at this point. So, if you're listening, I can go come in and uh, fill in the redacted spots with your name later.
1: Yeah, well, just I'll just say redacted, and we can dub that over when the sponsors come in. So, if you want your ad placement here, now's the time. <laughs> okay, so Stanley's going. Stanley's job is obviously to clean. So where does he usually start? Like what floor does he have a routine or he just goes wherever he's ordered to go?
0: I think like at the start of the day, I think he does like a basic kind of like bathroom cleaning routine. Obviously, he has to start on the top floor with the CEO's bathroom because that that cannot be a mess. All of the soap and towels and everything have to be restocked. Uh, and then he works his way down.
1: Right, of course. So, um, obviously, the elevator's currently out of commission. So, I, unfortunately for Stanley, he's going to have to take the stairs. And it's quite a long flight of stairs. It's it's probably at least a good uh, six or seven stories up. Because the CEO is at the top. That's unavoidable.
0: Yeah, that is and like i imagine like i have to have i guess like i can't take my full cart so i probably got like a bucket and put like the most important cleaning supplies and things to be restocked in the bucket but like it's a big like i think probably like the base of a mop bucket
1: yeah it's a big bucket and it's a narrow flight of stairs. And frankly speaking, you're not sure if the railing is very safe. It's not a very new building. So uh, just a test. And also to demonstrate how the dice work. Roll to climb the stairs.
0: <laughs> Alright. Uh, so I'm going to take four dice.
1: Yep, four d4s. Um, yeah. So would you say you're taking a strong or subtle approach?
0: Uh, I mean, I feel like this is kind of a strong approach. Okay. Just I, I've got the I've got the bucket like slung over my shoulder, and I'm just pushing my way up these stairs. It's a job; it needs to be done.
1: Okay, so you roll one less die for each point you have in a stat. So I think you're only rolling. You're actually only rolling two dice, and for the benefit of the people at home. This is a roll under system. So if you roll seven or below, you've succeeded. If you roll eight or above, you fail and something bad happens.
0: So I got a seven, which like at least that like that is a success, but that is not a great start to this uh this whole ordeal. <laughs>
1: That is that is ominous. So, um, you got Stanley. He's going up the stairs, and to usually he's fine, but unfortunately, cleaning products tend to like leak a little bit, even when you are holding them really carefully. Maybe he didn't screw the cap off on something right. Um, a bit of it's leaked onto the floor, and um, Stanley slips, nearly hits his head on the railing. Almost goes over, doesn't, manages to catch himself in time. But it's a real close call there. And you have to take a couple of minutes to breathe and be like, whew, could have been a goner. (sighs) Oh, Stanley. Oh, Stanley. But he manages to climb the stairs. Congratulations.
0: (laughs) The fact that that was nearly... A failure on two dice uh really is just uh this poor boy uh is not
1: there, there's a reason they're called bad time dice they know
0: yeah they they are aware of what's going on here uh so i just barely made it to, to the top of the building good
1: congratulations uh the ceo is there and the secretary. The secretary is not pleased because you're late from having to deal with the fact that you nearly slipped on the stairs. Sorry, Stanley. Oh, it's,
0: it's okay. That's This is Stanley's lot in life. Yeah. He is uh, massively apologetic um, and I think is just trying to like slink away As quickly as possible. uh, To just start the day.
1: Yeah. So um, the secretary tells you. That you know. Well as long as you just do your job. But you have less time to do it. Make it quick. The CEO has. A lot to do. And this bathroom needs to be clean. For uh, when he's ready to use it. Oh and be mindful. He's installed a new. New shower in there. It's a whole new system, new experimental shower with lots of different features, including a built-in steamer so that you could have like a mini steam bath. It's a product that we're planning on offering next quarter. Try not to touch it and be very careful when you're cleaning it because we've had reports of like sudden steam uh, accidentally scalding people. We've been told the kinks have been worked out, which is why it's installed in the CEO's office. But just don't press any buttons that you don't know what they do. Just don't press anything.
0: Don't press any buttons. Just do the cleaning. Got it. Yes.
1: So the bathroom is a pretty standard bathroom barring the special shower. There's a toilet in there. There's a sink. It's a pretty fancy looking thing because it's the CEO's. It's already clean, but you know the CEO is a stickler for it being spotless.
0: Yeah, I'll, uh, Stanley will get started. Okay. I think probably just an initial, like, just, I guess he would probably replace, like, change out the soap, replace any, like, toilet paper and hand towels and stuff before wiping everything down because, you know, he doesn't want to wipe everything down and then get like fingerprints and smudges all over everything by replacing it. So
1: it's very fastidious. He's
0: learned that the hard way.
1: Poor Stanley. Does he try and touch the shower, or is he just leaving that alone? I think
0: for now he's leaving it alone. I think he's curious about it. Um, especially as like an object that he will probably never be able to afford. But I think for the time being he just kind of constantly like looks at it out of the corner of his eye goes about his routine
1: okay in which case he doesn't roll for that stanley is very wisely chosen to avoid the weird experimental shower with the steam jets is already displayed more survival skills than 99% of these <laughs> protagonists
0: <laughs> for now
1: for now so um When Stanley finishes the job, you know, he's done a, well, do you want to roll to see how good of a job you did or just accept it?
0: Yeah, I feel like that has to, that has to happen. Okay. He's distracted. You know, he just had to go up this entire, like, walk up the entire building and he knows that, like, the stairs are in his future for the rest of the day. So he's a little distracted, and there's the shower, which he knows you shouldn't touch, but seems interesting.
1: Right. What approach would you like to take to examining the bathroom and seeing how good of a job Stanley's done?
0: I don't think that I can find a way to really work strong or subtle into this. I think this is just uh, him doing his job and the random chance universe will have to define how well he does
1: here goes
0: that is an eight
1: just on the cusp okay so stanley you're there you are admiring the work you've done and completely out of your control and entirely sadly not stanley's fault The experimental shower decides that its it's plumbing is no longer functional and a pipe bursts and starts to flood the room.
0: Thank you to Kyle Tam for designing such a cool game and joining me to play it. And thank you to you for listening. Head over to itch.io slash end of the line with dashes in between the words. And grab a copy of the game to play with your friends this Halloween season. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join us on October 29th when we finish up our session of End of the Line with Kyle Tam. And until then, remember that you are strong, you are beautiful, and you are not alone.